Welcome to the Poem of the Week. Each week, our poems are intended to help you practice the best, most current medicine by alerting you to studies that could change your practice. As usual, our host this week is National Public Radio's Dr. Michael Wilkes and Essential Evidence Senior Editor, Dr. Mark Abel. Gentlemen. Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Mike? Good. As the days get shorter, there's less sunlight, which brings us to think about rickets and and vitamin D. Uh, Rickets has been known since antiquity. It was first described, at least in any sort of writing, by a guy named Glisson in 1650. After that, uh, for generations, cod liver oil has been used medicinally. Shewitt in 1824 was the first to describe cod liver oil as a treatment for rickets, but it wasn't until 1906 that researchers suggested the existence of essential dietary factors that were necessary to prevent lots of diseases, but particularly rickets. In 1926, Hess, who was in New York, approached the famous steroid chemist Windaus in Germany, and they were going to look for the chemical structure of a product formed by the irradiation of the substance then thought to be cholesterol. It was not actually cholesterol, it turned out, but uh, cholecalciferol, uh, identified by Windhouse. He went on to win a, a Nobel Prize. Others who were involved in that were sort of left beside uh, a lot of politics there. But it wasn't until uh, around 1926 that we sort of discovered that vitamin D deficiency was a cause of rickets uh, due to a lack of exposure to sunshine or a lack of exposure to vitamin D-rich food. It is still, vitamin D deficiency that is, endemic in many parts of the world. Vitamin D enhances intestinal absorption of calcium and phosphate. Low concentrations of vitamin D are associated with impaired calcium absorption, a negative calcium balance, and a compensatory rise in PTH, which we all know results in excessive bone resorption. So the optimal calcium and vitamin D supplementation for skeletal health is uncertain. There are lots of community-dwelling adults who are getting adequate calcium and vitamin D from dietary intake and sun exposure. They do not need to take any supplements. However, calcium and vitamin D supplementation is typically suggested as a part of treatment for osteoporosis, particularly for patients who are also receiving osteoporosis meds. So you found a poem. It was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, 2022. For those that want to read along, it starts on page 299. It attempts to answer the question, does supplemental vitamin D reduce the risk of fracture in older adults? Mark, a very influential study. What did they find? Yeah, this was a huge study, um, both in terms of the number of patients and the investment in time, but also the results. They've previously, this is called the VITAL study, and they have uh, previously looked at cancer outcomes and cardiovascular outcomes where they found no benefit to supplementation with vitamin D. Um, This study, this particular uh, report looks at fracture, and they had 26,000 men 50 and older or women 55 and older, and they were randomized to get either 2,000 IUs of vitamin D per day, 1,000 milligrams of omega-3 fatty acid per day, both or two placebos. And they were base, uh, selected on the basis of their fracture risk or vitamin D levels. Uh, the main goal, as I said, was looking at these cancer and cardiovascular outcomes. 
Fractures were assessed based on a patient self-report. They ask them every year, have you had a fracture? If they said yes, they confirmed it by medical record review. And the average age, as you said, it was an older cohort, 57 years, and it was evenly split between men and women. About a quarter of the participants at baseline did have a vitamin D level less than 24 nanograms per milliliter. And a small number, one and a half percent, had a very low level below 12 nanograms per milliliter. About 40% in each group were taking supplemental vitamin D already, which shows you how popular it is. Um, Those folks agreed to limit themselves to no more than 800 milligrams a day during the study. Remember, the dose for the study was 2,000. There were a total of about 2,000 fractures in over 1,500 patients. They found no difference in total fractures, non-vertebral, hip, or osteoporotic fractures. They looked at a dozen or more subgroup analyses They found no benefit in patients who were taking none of their own supplemental vitamin D, so they looked at those separately. Um, They were looking at patients with previous fragility fracture, no difference, no difference based on age, sex, BMI. There was also no difference if you limited it to those folks who had an initial baseline vitamin D less than 24 or less than 12 nanograms per milliliter. Uh, On the harm side, they didn't find any difference with regard to renal stones or episodes of hypercalcemia or any other adverse events. So bottom line, vitamin D level is a very good biomarker for ill health, but it doesn't seem to be a very good treatment target. This was a large study. I think it showed definitively that supplemental vitamin D does not reduce the risk of fractures in uh, a, a typical U.S. older population, even in those folks who had a low baseline vitamin D level or a previous fracture. Wow. Um, So a study, 26,000, well-randomized, a lot of subgroup analysis. Is this it? I mean, do we need more information or can we now say that for the groups that you're talking about, older Americans, that we can stop testing for vitamin D if what we're testing for is to prevent uh, bone fractures? Yeah, that's sort of the, the logical conclusion. I don't think the authors quite go there and, you know, The guidelines haven't been updated yet, but uh, it certainly makes you wonder, what are we testing for? I mean, if there is some concern, you know, based on the patient's demographics or where they live or their lifestyle for low vitamin D level, um, or if they've had a low vitamin D in the past, it doesn't seem to be any harm to recommending 400, 800 IU, but I wouldn't go into the thousands. I wouldn't recheck levels. Um, you know, I think it's fine for people to take 400, 800 international units a day, take it in a multivitamin. That's fine. We know there's no harm, but, you know, this is increasingly tell us we're probably, you know, the benefit, if there's any, is, is kind of unclear. Thanks, Mark. That's a game changer. As, we, uh, as we've talked about in poems uh, for years now, changing people's practice behavior is a slow, a slow go. But this is the kind of evidence I think that uh, we need to build a compelling case that we can slow down on this. Yeah, it's it's tough when the, you know, we've been, the pathophysiology of this has been so ingrained in our education and it makes sense. And pathophysiology can tell you what uh, should work, doesn't tell you what does work. And in this case, it doesn't seem to work. Sort of a promotion here for poems and evidence uh, where things, you know, may be intuitive, but when you actually look at how they work in the real world, it just doesn't pan out. Uh, Have a good day, uh, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Well, that's this week's poem. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to read this and other recent poems, please go to www.essentialevidence.com. 
And please join us again next week for another medical poem. Thank you.